In the beginning, our God looked upon the formless chaos and spoke. He called forth light and life, and they came. Our world is no longer as it should be. We stagger in the dark, tossed by storms. Yet when the deep crashes and threatens to swallow us, we are not hopeless. Our God himself walks upon the face of the sea. We are not as we should be, full of anger and fear and shame. But when the voices shouting our guilt surround us, we are not condemned. Our God himself writes a new story. He came to make things as they should be. To make all things new. Until in fear and anger, they took him. Death seemed to swallow him up. And we were left alone. with us, pulling us out of the deep with a strong hand, speaking words of forgiveness over us, turning our sorrow into joy. All creation stands in awe of what our God has done. He is risen. Death is broken. Life has come. Christ is risen. Amen. Say it with me. He is risen indeed. Welcome this weekend uh, to Seacoast. We are so glad you're here. We really are. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now from uh, one of the venues here at Seacoast, maybe the warehouse or the student center, the chapel outdoors. Uh, we're glad you're here off-site campuses, at home. And I want to especially welcome uh, the men from the uh, South Carolina Correctional uh, Facilities. There's over 4,000 of you guys watching today, and we just want to give you a round of applause. We're glad that you're along also. Um, how many of you notice and are glad that baseball season started? Anybody at all? All right. How many don't really care at all? Okay, that's the majority. Well, I don't care. I'm going to talk to you about it anyway. So let me help you understand baseball a little bit. If you're going to have a good baseball team, one of the key things you've got to have is a good pitcher, okay? Got a good pitcher, you're well along the ways. Now, even good pitchers sometimes get tired or maybe have a bad game, and so they need relief pitchers. And so what happens is when the, when the uh, uh, pitcher's slowing down a little bit, the manager will come out, and he'll go to the mound, and he'll go like this, which means bring me a right-hander, or like this, which means bring me a left-hander, okay? So what's that got to do with anything? Well, earlier this week, Josh, your lead pastor, the team of 
prepared just an incredible Easter service. And then uh, Josh called me and said, hey, I've got COVID. And uh, he said, I need a relief pitcher. Do you think you've got one left? And uh, I said, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the story, really. It's been <laughs> 33 years. In fact, this is 33 years, our birthday uh, as a church, the first weekend of April, uh, 1988, we started. And so I said, I may not have a fastball, but I'll, I'll throw a curve, all right? And so, uh, and so I'm your relief pitcher today. Josh uh, has had a little tough time. We took him into the hospital uh, yesterday. Uh, just got a report just before he came in, and, and he's doing well, doing, doing well. And so if you just continue to remember him in, in your prayers, uh, it would be good. So have you ever faced something in life that seemed like an immovable object? Something that just seemed impossible, and it's not good. You know, it could be a closed door on a dream. You thought this is where God was leading you, and now it just seems to be gone. Could be a relational impasse where, you know, you, you've had some, somebody you love deeply and now you're miles apart. Uh, could be a health diagnosis like Josh's that you just didn't expect or one that uh, the doctors say is terminal. Well, you know, we all face immovable objects from time to time. Sometimes it's an obstacle of, of, of debt. Anybody ever been there? I know I was reading just this week that uh, one quarter of the households in South Carolina spend 50% or more of their income on housing. And that's just not sustainable. And some of you go, I know that's kind of where I am. Others of you, maybe you, you've had some medical bills that have knocked you back and, and into a mountain of debt. Could be a mountain, an obstacle of uh, addiction. Uh, you know, there's an area of your life that you thought you could control, and it seems more and more obvious that you can't. Could be an obstacle of grief. Maybe this year you've lost somebody, and maybe you're just sitting here even wondering, when will life be normal again? When will I feel like I felt before? An obstacle of fear uh, and anxiety. There's a lot of that these days. The fear level has been ratcheted up over the last few months. I know uh, my wife Debbie and I, uh, 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 experienced COVID. I introduced her actually to COVID um, a few months ago. And, and we talked about that uh, it gets in your head. It's a head game, especially when it's, it's happening and there's fear. And, and then uh, studies tell us that anxiety levels are higher than they've ever, ever been. It might seem like a mountain of anxiety, uh, a mountain or an obstacle of conflict or, or loneliness, which uh, this last year has really turned the volume up on. Well, when we face immovable obstacles, we've got a couple of choices. You can do like your kids do and just throw a fit, you know, just throw yourself on the ground. And I've seen some adults do that. It doesn't look good. Or you can learn from it and even learn to love it because you see them as opportunities for God to move and intervene. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to study uh, one of the stories from the Easter story and Three ladies and how they face an immovable obstacle. Uh, Jesus has been crucified and it's a Friday. Friday afternoon, that's important to know because in the Jewish tradition, uh, from Friday sundown till Saturday sundown is the Sabbath. And this happened to be right in the middle of the Passover, which made it even more extreme. And so there's no work to be done, uh, nothing to be finished or completed. And uh, they can't even give 
Jesus the burial that would be proper. They've just got to take him into a tomb and, and lay him on a slab there and then go away. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 16 and verse one. It says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, <clears throat> Mary the mother of James, and Salome, who somebody did some research and sent it to me this morning. I actually saw it on the way to, way to church that, um, that that Mary, Mary, or that uh, lady named Salome, actually her name was Mary also, uh, Mary Salome. So you got three Marys that come to the tomb and they, they, they went out and they purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on a Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw uh, that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angels said, don't be alarmed because you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. And now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there just as he told you before he died. So what can we learn from that very first Easter from three, these three women about facing immovable obstacles in our lives? Just a few lessons. Here's the first one. When you're facing an immovable obstacle, you need to enlist a team. You need to enlist a team. You'll never get it by yourself. You never will. Uh, in fact, in this verse, it says there were three, Mary, Mary, and Salome. It was too big of a job for one. It was too dangerous of a job for one. It was too emotionally uh, draining of a job for one. And you know what? Most, things, most of life's challenges are each of those. Somebody said, nothing great is ever accomplished alone. My friend John Maxwell says it like this, nothing of significance was ever achieved by an individual acting alone. Look below the surface and you will find that all seemingly solo acts are really team efforts. Whether it's a mountain of debt, a mountain of addiction, a mountain of grief, a mountain of fear, a mountain of conflict, you need a team to help you. So, so how big does the team have to be? You know, what's interesting is um, these ladies model what Ecclesiastes says is the perfect size for a team. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I found this backstage. In fact, I think it was a prop from our Christmas when we had little shepherds. Do you guys were here remember that? They were skinnier shepherds than me. But anyway, they had these. And this is a reason I picked it up is this is a, a three triple braided cord. In fact, this one, each of the individual braids are 15, combination of 15 little strings. One of these strings you could break. I could break. But 15 is what? Five times three. It's, it's five triple braided cords plus it's triple braided together. And so 
When you think about something like this, in fact, some of you, the take home today, if you don't hear anything else, the take home today for you is to make a list of who could be on your team to help you move the unmovable in your life. So you need a team. Second thing we learned from them is to make a plan. It says, and they purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And then very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. These women uh, would have been very justified to stay home and, and cried that weekend. I mean, this is an emotional thing. Someone they loved, someone they're related to, someone who, who they believed in is suddenly taken away from them. But rather than just cry about their loss and review what could have been or what might have been or what should have been, sometime on a Friday night or Saturday morning, they made a plan. Maybe one of them said, hey, we need to, we need to finish the job. Does anybody know where we can get burial spices? And another one says, well, I know someone who will sell it right after the Sabbath. Well, will you go get some? Another one might have said, well, when should we do it? Well, let's leave at dawn, because that's the safest time we'll be able to see our way there. And where should we meet? The plan started probably as a wish in one of their minds. I wish this never would have happened. I wish we weren't in this place. I wish we could have given Jesus a proper burial and somebody else maybe said, well, let's do more than wish. Let's do something about it. Let's do what we can to make this situation better. And they came up with a plan. Someone said, that a goal without a plan is just a wish. Does anybody have any testimonies to that? Do you ever wish things were better? Or wish things weren't so hard and you just became frustrated about it? Let me tell you why. Because wishes don't change things. Plans do. I remember wishing at one point in our life that we made enough money just to make ends meet. Have you ever been in a place where there was too much month at the end of your paycheck? Yeah, we were there every week with our paycheck. We lived in Northern Illinois. It was 1985. In fact, I remember a snowy, cold night, December the 2nd of 1985, and relates to this story, but I'll tell you about it in just a minute. We had four kids and not much income, and uh, we decided we've got to make a plan. So the first thing we did was enlist a team it was me and Debbie and a guy named Larry Burkett. Now, Larry Burkett didn't know us, but we read his book. Larry Burkett was uh, Dave Ramsey before there was a Dave Ramsey. So we read the book, and, and then we made a plan. We figured out what our income was. That was fairly easy, small number. We made a list of our expenses, which was higher than our income. How do you know that's a formula for disaster? And then we made an envelope for each area. What we would do is we would take our check every week. We get paid and we take our check to the, to the bank and we get it cashed. And we come home and we put it in envelopes that would help to organize us. The first one was a rent envelope. And you know, that one was very, very important. We'd put a portion of it in there for rent. And, and then, then the second one was real important. It was a, it was a food envelope. Okay. Third one was kind of interesting because it was an entertainment envelope and never had any money in it. We, we were the entertainment at that point. We had a debt reduction envelope. We learned about things like debt snowballs and stuff like that. And then the, the last envelope, which became the first envelope, was a God envelope. 
We didn't have enough money for God, but we figured we need his help. We'll give him an envelope, you know. And uh, then what we did is we learned that if we put his envelope first, that he would show himself strong on our behalf. And that's a whole nother message. But little by little, we followed a plan and we worked ourselves out of the, the mountain of debt. Now, why was, why was December the 2nd important? Well, it's just kind of a funny night. December the 2nd uh, was a Monday night. It was 20 below zero where we lived in Northern Illinois. It was also Monday night football. It was 1985, the Chicago Bears, the greatest team in the history of football. How many of you would say amen to that and agree with that? Okay, there's a couple of people that understand, people of understanding and great spiritual depth. Well, it's not even, it's not even a question. And uh, the only question was, would they be undefeated that season? And they were playing the Miami Dolphins, which was the last undefeated team, 1972. How do I know all of these things? I can't even remember my grandkids' names, but I've got this stuff down. And, uh, and so I was going to settle in and watch the game, and uh, two unfortunate things happened. First of all, the Bears lost. <laughs> Secondly, our dog got our envelope from the bank with all of our money, took it outside and just shook his head like this into the cold wind and spread it everywhere. Needless to say, I didn't watch that game. Debbie and I did an Easter egg hunt with steaks. Okay? It mattered whether you got the eggs or not. And, uh, and, and we went and we collected it all together. And this is a story that, that sticks out in our mind. It reminds me of the plan. We didn't just wish things could get better but we made a plan and God was good on that. Planning made all the difference. Do you have a plan for the mountain that you're facing or are you just hoping things will get better, okay? I'd, I'd encourage you to list a team, make a plan. Here's the third thing these women teach us and that's this, move ahead in faith. Move ahead in faith. On the way, say that together. On the way, let's say it again. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us? That's not the first time that they thought about that stone. They knew about that stone. They knew that the stone was heavy. It was rolled downhill. There was no way three women could move it. But once they got a team and had a plan, they decided we're going to move ahead in faith anyway. And so on the way, on the way, see, it would have been very easy for them to stay in bed that morning. Who will roll away the stone? Very real problem. But most times, you've got to start moving before all of the problems are solved. If you're, going to, if you're going to move a mountain, enlist a team, make a plan, you've got to move before all of the problems are solved. And then you hope that God will show up. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, there are uh, a couple of pictures of how God moves. In one of them, and they're very similar circumstances, but in, in, in one of them, uh, the children of Israel are leaving uh, Egypt where they've been uh, under bondage and slavery and Moses leads them out. And the first thing they come to is an immovable object, a, an obstacle that they've got to get through. It's a, it's a river and they've got an army behind them. What do they do? God gives Moses a plan. He says to Moses, he says, you just speak to the water. And he says, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be kind of like this aisle in front of me. He said, it's going to open up and part, and then the children of Israel are going to go across on dry land, and by that you will know that I am God. I love it when God moves that way. That's how I want God to move. I want him, I want him to, 
to open a door. I want him, I don't even want mud. I want to walk through on dry ground. Yes, Jesus. And here's the problem. Is that's usually not how God moves in my life. There's a second instance of God helping Israel. It sounds very similar. Moses has now died. Joshua's the leader. They've got to go across into the promised land. And there's a river that is at flood stage. Timing's terrible. But God says, go. There's a message right there. The timing doesn't always have to be just what you like. Sometimes God uses incredible timing to show that he is God. But anyway, they're, they're, they're going to go across and this time, instead of just speaking to it, dry land and all that, he says, here's the plan. Get the worship leaders. You'll know who they are. They're the ones with skinny jeans and man buns and stuff. <laughs> Get the worship leaders and you have them go out into the water and somewhere between ankle deep and thigh deep, I'll show up. How many of you are glad you can't sing? Okay. <laughs> If I was one of the worship leaders, here's what I would have done. Hey, listen, I've got a stone in my sandal right here. Y'all go ahead. I'll be there in just a minute. Because I don't like it when God moves that way. But what I've come to understand is that's probably a 90-10. About 10% of the time, boom, you know, you go through on dry land. About 90% of the time, you got to move ahead. And you got to hope that somewhere between thighs and ankles, that God comes through. So I would just say this, in your situation, whatever the obstacle is, get a team, make a plan, and just do the next right thing. What is the next thing that you know that is right? And then here's the fourth thing, is you anticipate God's help. You move ahead and you anticipate God's help. It says, but as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very huge, had already been rolled aside. God had already done for them what they couldn't do for themselves. That is the story of the resurrection. We are all sinners. Let's check that out. How many of you are sinners? How have you sinned today already? How about on the way to church? Does anybody have a testimony that would be kind of fun for all of us? We're all sinners. We laugh about it, but sin gums up the gears of life. Sin is what makes it hard for you to have a conversation with somebody that you love. And sin distances us from a holy God. And there's not a lot we can do about it. And yet God, by his son, Jesus Christ, came as a substitute for me and died and was buried and rose again. That's what the resurrection is about. God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Okay? And sometimes... We can enlist a team, make a plan, move forward in faith, and it's still going to take God bringing the supernatural. It's going to take God resurrecting some dry bones. It's going to take God breathing new life into a dying business or dying ministry. It's, it's going to take God rolling a stone, changing a mind, opening a door that you could never have done for yourself. And when you walk through, you look back and you say, but God, only God can be the explanation for where I've been. Why do those kind of things happen? Because it builds your faith for the next challenge. You mean there's going to be another challenge? Yeah. Listen, if, if life was easy, you wouldn't need faith. Newsflash, everything isn't easy. And some things are impossible. 
but God. You know, as I thought about this, I thought nobody saw God show up and fill in the gaps in their lives more than King David in the Old Testament. You would read his story and he would be outnumbered. He would be uh, up against impossible odds and God would show up time and time, time again. And so I wondered about that. Why is that? Why did God fill in the gaps? Why did God show up for him so often? I found this scripture, I think that is a key. It's Psalm 5 and verse 3, and it's a prayer of David. He says this, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning, I bring my request to you, and I wait expectantly. Here's what he says. He says, when I've got an impossible circumstance, an immovable mountain. I go to God in the morning and I bring it to him. And then I wait, not just patiently. It's good to be patient, but you combine patience with expectancy and you've got a recipe for success. And so why did, why did God move so often in David's life? Because David expected him to. In the New Testament, Jesus said, as your faith is, so will it be unto you. And so I would ask you, are you taking your mountains to God? Are you taking your relationships, your kids, everything that concerns you and putting them before God? And then I would say, how much are you anticipating God's help? Do you really expect God to move? Do you really expect answers from God? Create a team, make a plan, Move ahead in faith. Anticipate God's blessing. Here's the fifth thing is expect some surprises. Expect some surprises. You know, Easter is something of a challenge for pastors because everybody knows the end of the story. There aren't many surprises for Easter, you know. It's kind of like seeing the movie The Sixth Sense for the second time. Anybody seen that movie? Okay, a few of us 20 years ago. Yeah, the surprise ending is what makes the movie, all right? Now, uh, spoiler alert, you, you've had 20 years to watch it. <laughs> but in the last scene, you discover that the Bruce Willis character actually died in the first scene, which plays real well the first time through. Second time's kind of a, oh, yeah, okay. You see, everybody is dead. But there are surprises in the Easter story. It says when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. I bet that was a surprise. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Here's the deal. The women anticipated God's help. What did they need God's help with? Rolling away a stone so they could anoint a dead body. And God says, I'll, I'll roll away the stone, but I'll, I'll go one better on you. How about rather than a dead body, let's make it a resurrection. See, God loves to ruin a good funeral. <laughs> he loves to turn a crucifixion into a resurrection. God loves to surprise, see? And here's how he surprised him. What was he went way beyond their expectations. There's a verse that we read. This is our 33rd year. Did I mention that? Our 33rd year of ministry here at Seacoast, uh, Sunday first Sunday of April, 
And for 33 years, we've been reading the same scripture at the end of our service. It's Ephesians 3.20. Why do you think that you text connect to 3.20.3.20? You know, you could connect, you could text lunch with Greg to 3.20.3.20. Won't get you anything, but you could do it. But the reason, the reason it's 3.20 is because that's the key verse for our church. And every week we say it like this, now to him who is able to do immeasurably, say immeasurably together, immeasurably. That means more than you could ever ask or imagine, okay? According to what? His power. What's his power? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that rolled the stone away for the, for the ladies. It's the same power, it says, that lives inside of you and I and is at work. And when you give God your immovable circumstances, he may move the stone away. He may resurrect a dream. He may give you a brand new dream. Or here's what he might do. He might just leave the stone there. You say, God will do that? Yeah, any testimonies of that? And, and then he takes you on a detour. How many of you love detours? No. Uh, I can remember, though, uh, several times, Debbie and I have been driving somewhere, and there's been a detour, and you go, oh, man, detour, we've got to get off the highway. And the detour was the most beautiful thing that we had seen. And we said, next time we go back past this, let's do the detour rather than the regular way. You know, if God leaves the stone there, he's got a detour for you that will be beautiful in so many ways and lead you to your destiny if you follow him. See, God's ultimate goal is not about a destination. It's about a relationship. And that's what resurrections are for. In fact, when we have impossible circumstances, it draws us closer to God. And that's the ultimate goal. Final step. You've made a plan. You've collected a team. You've moved ahead. You've expected God to work. And uh, there have been some surprises. And now you share your story. It says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Say that together. Including Peter. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Now you will see him there just as he told you before he died. You know, there is no greater witness to the power of God than someone who has experienced a resurrection in their life. I can talk to you about it, but when somebody in your section, somebody in your circle of influence, somebody in your family says, you know what? I was buried under a mountain of debt. I saw no way out. I put work in, but it can only be explained by God's power. Or I was bound by an addiction. I was on a path to self-destruction. I put the work in. I took the next right step, but it can only be explained by the power of God in my life. My life was controlled by fear and anxiety. I had lost all hope that it could be any better. And then I experienced the power of God in my life and things have never been the same. Those stories are powerful. And I've been around here long enough to know that there are lots of you that have those stories. Tell somebody, tell somebody. God never wastes a circumstance. In fact, your greatest ministry to others is oftentimes connected to the point of your greatest pain. Tell somebody what God has done. And don't forget, he says, to include Peter. What does that mean? Well, if you know the story, you know that on Thursday, Jesus told his disciples that he was, he was gonna die. And Peter stepped up and he said, 
Don't say that. Not on my watch. You'll not, I'll, I'll give my life for you. I'll take a sword for you. And Jesus says, no, you'll deny me. And in the heat of the moment, Peter denied Christ. And the Bible says that he, that he walked away. There was separation. I'm sure he isolated himself. Couldn't forgive himself. Couldn't imagine that he did that in the moment, that he, that he wasn't there for Jesus in his moment of need. Maybe the group isolated him. Said, we don't want you. Whatever it was, when that angel came to those three ladies at the tomb, the angel said, hey, oh, by the way, don't forget Peter. God was saying to them, I love Peter. I have a plan for him. You know, as I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking about some of you here today. Some of you feel isolated from God. You feel distant from God. Maybe there was a time when you walked close to him and life happened. Something happened. And no longer do you have the close relationship with him. Others of you, maybe you never had a close relationship. In fact, it feels kind of awkward being here in church this weekend. Can I tell you why you're here? So that you would be quiet long enough to hear the God of the universe, the same God that said, don't forget Peter. He's saying through me, I haven't forgotten you. I've got a plan for your life. Let's start anew. Let's start afresh. And here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you here and at the campuses. Would you just bow your heads just for a moment? If I'm talking to you, maybe your heart's beating faster right now or something I've said says, I can relate to that. That's me. I want you to do something for me. I'm going to count to three and just to give you a time to prepare and think. And then I want you to raise your hand. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I believe that this could be the most crucial moment of your life to this point because you open up yourself to the God of the universe. You invite him to be a part of your story and that you would be a part of his. One, two, three. Would you lift your hand all over this place? Just lift your hand, okay? There's so many, so many, so many. Let me pray with you, let me pray with you. God, I thank you for my friends. Some I know and some I don't who've lifted their hand today, they're saying yes to you. Would you just in your own way say yes to him? Saying yes to you, God. I'm inviting you into my story, into my life. Thank you for sending Jesus and thank you for not forgetting me. God, I pray that your power would seal a decision by the power of the Holy Spirit and I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in so many lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.